Welcome to Dear Diaspora, a podcast celebrating the African diaspora and the change makers, innovators, and entrepreneurs working to make our world a better one to live in. I'm your host, Ndola Koa. Let's get started. Welcome to episode eight of Dear Diaspora. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait for y'all to listen to this next interview that I had with Jadu Amar. And before I introduce him, um, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. It really makes a huge difference and helps new people find the podcast and um, just helps with overall rankings. And, you know, obviously I want as many people listening to this content as possible Um, and you know we really want to amplify the stories of the entrepreneurs and change makers across the diaspora so yes don't forget to subscribe rate review follow the podcast if you're listening on any other podcasting platform and share this with a friend if you know someone that's super into um, you know just learning about the diaspora and businesses and Uh, you know, they're passionate about social change and just um, professional development, go ahead and share this episode with them. And don't forget that you can also review the show notes on DearDiasporaShow.com slash episodes. So if there's something um, that you missed and you're like, oh, like, you know, who who is that one person that was on episode five um, and how can I connect with them um, and what are, you know, their social handles and things like that. Um, and if, you know, someone recommended a certain book or something and you didn't write it down, you can always go back to DearDiasporaShow.com slash episodes. And yes, that's where you can find all the show notes and all the content. So my next guest is Jadu Armar. He is the founder of Paradise Sun Snacks. So Paradise Sun Snacks are naturally lit snacks that are cooked using only the energy of direct sunlight. So it's a super cool, um, sustainable like cooking method, and I loved learning all about it. Uh, we get into what inspired him to get started uh, with his business, his upbringing in London, um, his schooling in the U.S., and then what ultimately drove him towards um, deciding to relocate to Ghana after graduating college. So I really loved our conversation. I hope that you enjoyed as well. And so, yes, here's my conversation with Jadu Armar. Jadu, thank you so much for being a guest on Dear Diaspora. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm so excited to have a nice, good conversation with you for the next hour or so. So looking forward to it. Awesome. And so um, I, you know, we met on Instagram and um, you told me about your uh, company, Paradise Sun Snacks. Um, So for those that, you know, haven't heard of Paradise Sun Snacks, could you just share a little bit more about, um, you know, what inspired you to get started and, you know, what you're about, basically? No problem. No problem. So uh, I actually have a pretty interesting story so when I came back to Ghana after many years away I met up with my grandfather and we got into some discussions and he kept telling me about um, the direction of where the world will be going and his philosophy on uh, how the world will turn out given the circumstances for global warming and uh, he actually introduced me to the idea of sun cooking And for those who probably won't know what that is, it's quite literally you cook in the sun. You have like this box, this maybe two by two box, and then you have pretty much tanning mirrors on the four sides and pretty much it concentrates all the light uh, and converts it into heat energy. And he had been experimenting with it for years pretty much. He actually started making his own coconut chips and he literally makes all his food from it pretty much so he doesn't use any electricity or anything um he's he's a big environmentalist to say the least really um and so yeah he started making his own coconut chips and making some of his meals using this concept 
And I got talking to him about that in particular. And so I decided to uh, use one of his boxes to experiment for myself. And so I started making coconut chips. Reason being coconut chips, because I really like coconut. And I think it's such a good snack. And I am a huge snacker. Um, and so I decided, you know what, let me just do that. Let me take it on board and go from there. And so I kind of came up with one or two basic recipes. And I was like, wait, this is actually really good. And I started, like, selling it to, like, friends and family. Well, not really selling it. I started, like, sharing it out with them. And they're like, yo, this is actually amazing. Like, you should try and sell it. And so I kind of ran on the idea that this is incredibly environmentally friendly. I mean, I don't use any electricity. I don't use any gas. All I use is natural renewable sunlight energy to make my products wow. and i literally don't think anyone in the world is kind of doing it like this i I'm, i know actually you can get sun toast sun dried tomatoes and things like that which yeah it's all well and good but no one has ever had a chip snack that's been sun baked or sun toasted without using any gas electricity we don't fry it or anything. And so... Whoa. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's, it, is, uh, it is quite a wild kind of hippie movement that uh, I've kind of ran on and ran with, really. Um, and so, yeah, so that's kind of how it started. And I guess now I'm here today. I mean, obviously, I'm still a very young company and I'm still trying to figure a couple of things out here and there and there's a lot of learning involved but I mean I'm so persistent with it because I realize that I might have something here and I might have something that could be much bigger than myself um I believe that it could possibly obviously this might just be my romantic idea that's just floating around in my head but I might have something that could possibly change the world. I mean, who's to say that you can't have a factory running on hydro power or wind power or any of these things? I mean, it's so possible. And we are in an age where we need to start thinking um, about these things. How can us, the, the businesses, solve the problem of being sustainable before it even gets to the consumer, mm. you know? Um, and I think that that's, that's the biggest thing that's driving me. Um, I think that's what motivates me every day because I, I just feel like someone must understand what I'm trying to do here. And I, I feel like it is a lot bigger than myself. And so if it means that I go head first and I just do it and maybe other people pick up on it and start trying it for themselves at least I know I've left a legacy in some way shape or form totally. so yeah wow yeah thank you for sharing that I feel like that's super um fascinating and um I love to hear how um like passionate you are about it and like how excited you are about it about it um yeah. and I feel like that's where businesses should be going and this is the mindset that they should be having um you yeah. know being more um eco-friendly and yeah. you know not essentially not damaging the earth <laughs> um yeah. and i feel like you are definitely onto something and i can't wait to ask you even more questions about it um but before yeah. we kind of like talk more about that i wanted to um talk a bit about your your upbringing um and your you know your Ghanaian and just what that was like for you and then your experiences like living um outside of Ghana like I I want to know a bit more about that and then we'll, we can get back to talking about no the problem. the company no problem so uh yes I am a Ghanaian and I'm a, a proud Ghanaian I'm a proud British Ghanaian too um and I, th I think the British uh, 
African experience is quite unique uh, in that Britain is a unique space and a unique place simply because I feel like, and maybe this is just my observation, we are a bit of a classist society. Um, you don't really get the race wars that go on over in the US, you know. I, I feel like it's more of a class classist thing uh, for several reasons. Firstly, how British colonized pretty much 50% of the world. And so the Brits are very aware that there are wealthy people in India, uh, Australia, Ghana, South Africa, you know? So I, I feel like mm. it's not so much a race thing. It's become a classist thing. Um, and I definitely experienced that uh, because I was, I was lucky enough to attend uh, private schools from when I was about the age of seven all the way to through college, actually. Um, but talking about my primary years, um, yeah, I, I experienced what it was like growing up within this culture that quite literally they live in a bubble. Uh, we all lived in a bubble, quite frankly. Um, I attended a boarding school, and so I was sheltered even more within with a lot of white people who obviously came from a lot of money, and they knew nothing else about the world other than their privileged lifestyle. And it's not just white people. It's also blacks, Nigerians, Ghanaians from all walks of life and all over the world really mm. um and so like we began began to see that we are quite a sheltered bunch really um and i think a lot of us learned that very quickly um and so we realized that i don't like someone because of their race but we started to see how people treated people who were maybe a little less fortunate than they were mm. um and it was interesting. It was a very interesting experience. And I found myself kind of in a really awkward position because I, I would like to say I came from pretty humble backgrounds in London. Anyway, I, I came from London and I moved to the countryside for boarding school. And the London experience is pretty much a New York experience. It's so diverse, like the smells, the sounds, mm -hmm. everything about London is so multicultural and so diverse in a number of ways that you're forced to just get involved and belong to this larger, wider community uh, at large. But no, I, I, I think also London London's an interesting place because you have... Uh, the really rough areas you have the really nice areas and then you have the everything in between kind of thing and because I was a black Ghanaian a lot of my friends and a lot of my family members uh, lived within the bracket of the everything in between and the rougher areas and so I got a good first hand look at seeing what that experience was like and mm. I'll tell you what, people struggle there. People definitely struggle, but it's like a secret struggle. It's something that you, you don't see on the face of it. Mm. You have to like unlayer the onion kind of thing and like right. figure it out yourself. And it's, it's so weird because the Cause, world doesn't see that, you know? Right, because I'm sure if you you know, um, if you share that, oh, my, you know, my family lives in London, um, people, especially like, let's say back home in Africa will assume like, yeah. oh, like you're, you're living it up and you must have like a yeah. great life. Um, yeah. and that's similar to like the U S like, you yeah. know, everyone just has this like, uh, perception that, um, you know, thing like there's so Things much like so abundance. Good. Yeah, exactly. But it's like when you're actually here, you know, like actually making a life um, 
and you know affording things like it's it's not that easy so it's a different experience it it is it's not what you expect and i think that's what a lot of uh africans or i can only speak for africans i don't want to speak for the asian community because i don't know that experience but for the west african community living in such areas they they're blinded by this facade of what could be you know mm. and i i think that that is something that they need to realize might just be wrong because you might find that pe- people are happier in ghana or their native country in comparison to how people live in london uh i mean totally I think the best way you can live and experience the London experience or maybe even the US experience uh, is by listening to art. Well, I say listening to art. Listen to artists rap uh, about their experience, their first-hand knowledge. Uh, And there's this really big artist in the UK right now called Dave. Um, I advise everyone to try and listen to some of his music but there's a song on one of his previous albums called Streatham. And Streatham is a town in London, for those who don't know, uh, that is on the surface quite a beautiful place. But when you just open one door, you see it for what it really is. There's gangs there, there's this, there's that. And you just have to see and try and... I don't know how to explain, but you have to try and put yourself in the shoes of these kids who are growing up in London, who all they see is this fast life of getting money quick just so they can belong to the to the big London community, um, mm-hmm. what they see it as, or maybe if you want to call it, maybe the whiter London community, um, the middle and upper class community. Um, but there are people struggling there. And I, I can tell you that for free. I actually have a friend uh, and he's become quite big in the art scene in terms of he's a photographer and his work is incredible. Uh, his name is Meek Trayvon. And you know, he, he tells me every day about the struggles that even he goes through, the personal struggles he goes through. Um, although he's grown up within a society that is incredibly privileged, he's, he's still a black young man mm. who's having to find his way through life. And it's not easy. It's not, never going to be easy. And I, I think that's one thing that uh, Africans need to be aware of before they make that transition if they want to move to London. Um, and saying that, there is opportunity there if you want to do or take the traditional route, which is you go there, you get a great nine-to-five job that pays well, you're in the city, awesome. There is that opportunity there for you, but don't get it twisted. There's people ahead of you. There's people who have the golden spoon in their mouth Mm. that are going to get there before you, you know? So just, just be aware of that and maybe just acknowledge that you have to start from somewhere, but also in saying that the experience here in Ghana is, is also quite tricky for a lot of people. And you do feel sorry for, uh, the people that are struggling because if you want to see struggle and hustle you see it here in Africa really you see it here in sub-Saharan Africa but there's two sides of the coin here you got the people in London who are struggling and quite frankly they're not happy with their situation and there's people here who are making the very best and the most out of the situation they're given you know, mm. and I think that's what inspires a lot of people to just keep going here, you know. Right. And uh, thank you. 
uh, for sharing that perspective. I feel like it's one that we don't hear a lot um, because especially like living in the U.S., um, even we aren't really aware of um, the fact that, you know, London is not like not everyone there is is doing well. Not everyone there's obviously like in the middle class or like, you know, um, above that. Um, so yeah, thank you for sharing that perspective. Um, and I want to know, so like, at what point did you decide like, okay, for sure, I'm going to, um, live in Ghana, do business in Ghana and like, just, you know, kind of like settle there. Like what, what made you like decide to do that? And like, when was that? So that decision, it came like pretty last minute to be honest with you and I'd be lying if I said it didn't so when I went to college I went to a school called Roger Williams in Rhode Island um, and I had studied architecture and art and architectural history and obviously I had kind of done well not obvious it wasn't very obvious but I had kind of done it to please my parents and I, I feel like a lot of the diaspora we do that we take on the the difficult courses like architecture engineer lawyer doctor those types <laughs> of things to yes. really please our parents and I think this is a conversation we can continue to have in a second but let me let me get to the answer of what you just asked me yeah um but yeah uh so I got out of college and I came home. I started a little bit of work. Uh, my dad's also an architect. Uh, so I was doing a bit of work with him. So some drawings here and there. We went on site visits and things like that. Um, so I was kind of engaged, but I knew this wasn't for me. I, I knew there was something else out there. And I, I couldn't put my finger on it. And I needed to take a step back and try and figure out what it was. And I think I find myself very comfortable in an uncomfortable position, if that makes sense. I find myself throwing myself in a place that is unknown to me. And and so obviously you go to Ghana on holiday and stuff when you're younger and things, which is all well and good, but it's very different when you're living there. And so I decided, you know, let me just go to Ghana. Let me see what's there for me. And fortunately enough, around that time, I started thinking maybe I should go to Ghana. Uh, my cousin, uh, Senna, who actually owns a company called Yabo's Food Services, um, contacted me and he said, you know, listen, I have a little bit of work out here. I don't know if you want to join me and see what we can do with it. And so I kind of use that as my ticket to saying, do not, yes, let me just go and do this and see what happens. And so that's kind of when it happened. So it was maybe about three months after, two months after college, I made that change. Um, And bear in mind, at this point, I had a girlfriend at the time and she was like, don't go, I don't need to go kind of thing. But I was like, I, I need something new i need an experience and things and so i I decided to make that switch which was probably the best decision of my life wow and Uh, so who i've learned so much about myself sorry oh no sorry um so i was i was gonna ask so who all was in ghana when you decided to move like were your parents there or you said your your grandpa was there for sure yeah so my grandfather was there my parents were are still in london actually Okay. Um, so I haven't made the move, but it was my uncle, my aunt, and my cousin that was there. Uh, and my cousin was one that really pushed me to come. And so I was like, listen, I have a place to stay. I could either stay with my grandfather or I could stay with my uncle and aunt and cousin. And me being a young boy who wouldn't want to stay with their cousin, you know, like who wouldn't? Like right. that's like the dopest thing so I decided no let me just get out there and I'll stay with him and so yeah so it was him who I chose to stay with and so yeah so that that's how it works really 
Nice. And so what kind of work did you do um, with Yabo's food? So basically, he was not doing Yabo's food services at the time. He was actually distributing alcoholic drinks. So at the time, it was mainly like champagnes and rosés and things like that. And that kind of, it was completely different to anything I'd really known, to be honest with you. But I'd known he'd been doing well with it because at the time he had kind of sold distribution rights for a drink called Bel Air. I think a lot of Americans know about it because of Rick Ross and mm-hmm. DJ Khaled mm-hmm. and things. And so he had sold distribution rights for Ghana. And so he was making a decent amount of money. And he said, you know, come on board. But at that time, he also lost a contract for that. And so he started his own liquor distribution company, just selling different brands and stuff. And so I decided to jump on board that train kind of thing and just help him with that, really. But what that entailed was a lot of drinking, which (laughs) when you're right out of college, I'm sure is a lot of fun. And it is fun, don't get me wrong. Um, But it also entails a lot of going out, which, again, a lot of fun. But after a while, you realize that you can't live that life every single day. And there is a lot more to it. There's a lot more to life than just drinking and partying and trying to promote drinks and trying to promote clubs, events, and all these things. There's so much more to it. And so, fortunately, at that time, he was thinking about stepping away from that environment and that space and trying to set something else up. And so he took a little short break uh, about seven, eight months into it. And he traveled to US and then he figured out that he wanted to set up a food truck company called Yavos, selling local foods and local dishes. Um, and at that point, I had spent time on my own just kind of figuring out what I really want to do and all of that. And that's when the idea for my company came about, really. I started obviously engaging more with my grandfather because he was one of the only people that I, I would be speaking to on a regular, regular basis like that. So, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I, I got into drinks and... I'd been doing a bit of architecture with my dad and some design work and things. So, yeah, within like one year, I'd kind of switched from architecture to distribution to selling my own business, which is very different and it's very unique and it's a big jump and it is very chaotic and incredibly scary. Because quite frankly, you don't know when you're next going to see a paycheck because you've been jumping around from job to job. You don't know when you're going to be able to get a job. So it is, it's scary. It is. Um, but I, I feel like that's where you get a lot of personal growth. And that's where you start to figure out who you really are and what you really want for your life. Um, and I, I think it was an important stage and step in my life and I think those times needed to happen to allow me to really evaluate the type of person I am the, what I really want for my life and things like that so yeah oh wow um thank you for sharing that and um so at what point did you know for sure that you wanted to move forward with um with starting with like the the coconut chips like how long had you been having those conversations with your grandfather about you know like sun cooking and stuff and at what point did you say like okay let me let me try this out and like see how it goes so I had been talking to him for about four or five months he had given me a couple of sun ovens that he actually acquired in the 80s Oh, wow. I want to say the eighties, and so I started like just playing around with it kind of thing. And 
I'm one of those people where I probably have ADD or something. And when I find myself fixed and attached to something, I am like all guns blazing on that one particular thing. And then once I get bored of it, I just move off and just try and figure out something else, you know? Um, And I think that's why architecture was such a good fit for me at the time. Because I could just concentrate for like a concentrated period of time and move on with things. But um, no, so that's kind of how it came to be. Like, I had been interested in it. I started talking to him about it. He taught me how it works and he made me understand the science of it all. Um, And I would find myself every week just going to his house and just taking my notepad with me and just writing down every single word he says. I think I probably have about 40 or 50 hours of recordings on my phone still of our conversations. Wow, um, that's amazing. Yeah, because I, I was just so like amazed by it. I was, I was thinking, why has no one done it? Why has no one thought to conduct a business in this way. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that's what kind of gets me going and that's what kind of gets me transfixed on this maybe naive and romantic idea of what a business or what a food business could be. But I don't know, I, I think the craziness of it all and the insanity of it just kind of made me more attracted to it. Oh, wow. And so could you could you walk us through, like, the process a little bit? Like, how long does it take, you know, from, like, the point where you, you get the coconut and I'm assuming, well, obviously, like, open it and stuff, uh, yeah. cut it up, you know, how long does it take to cook out in the sun and then... Yeah, like how how does that work? Yeah, so th- this is where at first I was so unsure about it because I thought it would take like hours, quite frankly, or days, and it really doesn't. It actually takes actually a couple of hours, but not too, too long. Um, so what I do is obviously I crack the coconut, I give it a good wash and things, and then um, I slice it up, and I add my ingredients to it. Once I do that, um, I place it on a like a baking tray, and then the ovens like they have this glass window that opens up. Uh, so once you open it up, you close it and seal it, uh, and then you literally just let the sun do its job. So the problem with this is. A lot of you might be thinking, what happens when it's a rainy day? Well, quite frankly, I don't cook. And it sounds like maybe a terrible thing. But (laughs) at the same time, that's the core of my business. And that's what I love about it. It's such a crafted process that you only can admire and respect. And obviously in time when the technology is out there, I'd definitely be doing a lot more to to make sure I'm cooking throughout the rainy period and the cloudy overcast days. But uh, yeah, that that is kind of how it works. Well, I say kind of, it is pretty much how it works, but it is a patient game and you have to wait maybe about between two to four hours um, and obviously, you regularly check up on it just to make sure it's not overcooking and things. And once you do that, you take it out, package it, and you send it away. But it's a patient game. And I think it is a bit of a metaphor for how Ghana is. Ghana is a place where you need to be very patient. You need to, you can't try and expect things to happen just overnight because it doesn't work like that. Um, and there's this really interesting saying that me and my cousins always talk about, and it it goes along the lines of uh, what is it? Uh, 
how can I forget? No, I can't forget. Uh, what is it? What is it? I'm so sorry. No, you're no, good. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it is, you know, this place is a jungle. You know, Ghana is a jungle, and you really have to play to the beat of the drum, you know. And I, I think that is, like, it pretty much sums up the experience here, and it sums up the experience with my product, too. You, ha- you have to be able to work in sync with the sun kind of thing. You have to be able to have the knowledge to figure out, all right, the sun's out now. You have about three or four hours of sunlight. And you know that within the year, you have roughly around 2,000 hours of sunlight. So with that 2,000 sun- hours of sunlight, there's actually a lot you can do with it, quite frankly. There's a lot of cooking that can be done. That's roughly around 400,000 bags of chips. I've done the math, so don't worry. Don't making this up on the spot. But yeah, it's a lot. It is a lot. So it 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 makes you think, we have all of this in this country. We have all the natural resources one could ask for. What are we doing? And I don't know, do you mind if I swear? Oh, no. <laughs> so my, my grandfather has this saying also, which is really funny to me because I'd never heard him swear until he said this. Uh, he always used to say, you know, Ghana, we are sitting on a gold mine mining shit. Which, like, oh my God. that, you know, like, it blows my mind. It blows my mind that that's... That's what he thinks because we have so much here. We have an abundant and listen, I'm not going to say it's just Ghana. There's a belt in West Africa stretching from the furthest point of West Africa to the eastern point of Africa of rainforest, just lush green vegetation. We can grow anything we really desire. We can do anything we really want. We, you know, like we have it all here and we just don't know it. Um, and so I think that's what encourages a lot of people, maybe a lot of white people to come back or to come back. I say to come here and try and Mm. grab and just take, because they know that there's, this place is just a land full of opportunity, you know, it's untouched vegetation with so much natural resources just literally sitting there. Um, but yeah. it is our take. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. I feel like we unfortunately are like, we are the supplier essentially of yeah. the world. You know, like we, we give them all, all the, the, our natural resources, all the minerals, all the oil. It's like we just give uh, it to the, the rest of the world and then they get to capitalize off of it and build wealth cool. off of it. And then we're we're left there like, you know, yeah. with like crumbs. And so, um, wow. But uh, I feel like that's, that's kind of been the history of this continent. And it's so obsessing that we still let it happen. We still let allow it to happen even. Mm. Um, for example, today I was driving in town and lo and behold, I find a Chinese company constructing the roads for us. Like, mm-hmm. who's to say we don't have the knowledge, we don't have the experience, we don't have the expertise to do it ourselves? Like, what's going on? We totally do. We totally do. But it's like our, you know, policymakers and the people who actually have the power to, like, influence that are letting it happen. You know, they're not prioritizing supporting, um, you know, local companies and local people that are perfectly capable of doing that work. It's like they they're completely just like, you know, our doors are open you know, um, which is, it's like sad to think about. But also, also, I feel like that work ethic does somehow trickle down onto the everyday people. 
and the everyday man and woman and child. Like, there are those who, yes, they work incredibly hard and they do well. But, for example, let me, let me give you just a little snippet into the life of what I've been going through or the life of me this past year. It's taking me about seven, about actually almost a year to get my FDA approval. Why? Because there's so many like underhand backhand passes of money and cash transactions. And like, why does that need to happen? It shouldn't have to happen. Mm. It shouldn't happen. Like we need to make it a lot easier Firstly, not only to do business, but also just to work with people. Like, I shouldn't have to pay someone to do a a, a small job for me or whatever. Well, I say a small job. But I shouldn't have to pay someone to... um, to Like if you're, like, applying for... You see, yeah. Yeah, I totally get you. Because you're saying you essentially have to... Um, not bribe, but like, uh, what's the term? Yeah, yeah essentially like, give them additional funds so that they can actually do what they're supposed to be doing. You see, like, that shouldn't have to happen. Um, and I, I, I feel like a lot of people, they're swayed away from doing business here because of these things. And because of how open and honest we are about it, it's even more un- unattractive to most people. You know, we need to make this continent a more inviting place, obviously, for people to invest and things like that. But, like, we need to do it in a way that is a lot less corrupt um, and a lot more forward-thinking. Uh, I, I, I get a lot of my influences on, obviously, politics and policies from Singapore, which is mm. an incredible story if you haven't heard of it uh, incredible story even uh, if you haven't heard of it uh, basically they are a city state in the middle of the ocean they don't have any natural resources absolutely nothing they have nothing the only thing they do have is they have a very good location and they managed to capitalize on that opportunity um they've completely over the last 50 to 60 years they completely kicked out corruption you can't even chew chewing gum in that country for goodness sake they're really (laughs) trying to like create this utopian world for everyone and anyone to come in and it's a multicultural society it's it, it is a great country on the surface, I'm sure they have their issues still today. And no country is perfect. Don't get me wrong. But there, there is a lot more we should be doing. And I, I think when you look at the countries like Ghana, uh, Senegal, uh, Nigeria, South Africa, like we are even Rwanda, I would put that, them in the bracket, Kenya, Listen, there's a lot of countries in this ca- on this continent mm-hmm. that have the responsibility and they have the capability to really make a change and kind of change the mentality of our people and try and encourage our people to start doing things the right way. But I feel like we've really dug ourselves a hole on this continent and we've really... We've made it very difficult for ourselves to now turn back and take a step back, reevaluate how we've been doing things. Mm-hmm. And so, um, what do you think is like a um? What am I trying to ask? So, what do you think is what do you propose is like a way we can go about um, reducing like corruption? For instance, like is it a matter of we need just a bunch? of young people, you know, in these positions? Like, do people, older folks just need to retire? Like, what needs to happen, you think? I mean, it's all well and good saying, you know, the young folks need to come in. But I, I think 
a lot of it comes down to just educating and teaching principles and philosophies about life. Um, because I, I feel like philosophy is something that we don't have the chance to learn here. And I feel like the only reason that is is because we are a very religious continent. I mean, we have so many different religions, but we are so religious. I mean, the churches in this country and pretty much in a lot of countries in West Africa are very powerful. And so if a pastor says, you know, one day everyone needs to give me $100 because God said so, everyone will do it. But they won't look at the true logis- logical reason as to why they're doing it. Um, we need to try and understand logic and reasoning a lot better and try and teach that and pass that down to our kids for generations and generations. I, I think there's a lot of work to be done. Um, mm. A lot of people, a lot of the older generation, actually, they've given up. They're just like, listen, nothing's going to change. I don't know why you guys are thinking things are going to change. And so they fall into that trap, too. Um, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to kind of pinpoint one thing that can be done to kick out corruption and all of these things because it is a mentality thing. You know, it, it is a state of mind and it will, will definitely require a huge paradigm shift for anything to really start to move in the right direction. Like, I, I think we are starting to really look at the big picture of it all. And I think it starts in the household. It starts at home. It starts how we teach our children too, because... I feel like a lot of young people, they don't really look at politics in a serious way because it's actually really quite dictatorial in some ways. I mean, think about it. Who is the youngest person you know in politics on the face of this continent? Or who is the youngest person you know that's made a billion dollar uh, company? You, you can't really think of it. And I, no. I, I think that's why I'm saying, like, it starts at home. I mean, at home, we should really be teaching our kids that re- you can kind of do everything and anything you really want. And it shouldn't be limited to only you doing this, that, or the other to be able to excel and do what. No, like, that is utter BS, if you ask me. Um, I, I think it's, it's, it's about understanding the role of young people on this continent because there's more young people on this continent. There's more people under the age of 35 than there are above that age. So why are we letting this small minority dictate our future and dictate the direction in which we should be going in? Uh, I think the power is in our hands and it's about realizing and understanding that. Um, But it's also very hard because we are taught in, well, maybe I can only speak for those who are first-generation Americans or Ghanaians or, uh, sorry, first-generation British or French or wherever they are based right now. Um, But we are taught to be incredibly disciplined and listen to our elders and be very respectful to our elders. But I was always quite an interesting child because I always used to challenge my elders a lot. I used, I was, I was just curious. Mm. Um, And I always wanted to know why we can't do something or why is having a tattoo so bad? For example, I don't have any tattoos, but you know, like, (laughs) But in the growing up in an African household, you learn that these are the things that are right and these are the things that are wrong. Um, but we don't really get to see 
or understand why they are bad. Like, we're never taught that. Um, and I think that's, like, a bit of a problem. I, I think that's an issue. Um, I think the household is really where leaders are born. And I think that's where we really need to be focusing on channeling a lot of our energies um, to try and make this society and this culture a better culture and leave it in the best condition possible for the next generation. You know, I wanted to ask where you see your company in the next couple of years. Like I know you said you just got your, um, like you're going to be FDA approved or you got like the official yeah. like go as far as that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, in the next five years, I for me, I don't know. I, I have, I say I don't know. I, I, I know exactly what I want it to be. I, I want to start branching out and showcasing to the world what African cuisine is really all about. I, I don't want to just limit myself to just uh, chips, coconut chips. I also do want to get into, obviously, cassava chips and uh, plantain chips and dry fruits and things like that. But I also want to try and showcase really what Ghanaian cuisine, West African cuisine can be. Um, I think I want to innovate in so many different ways. Like, who's to say that I can't make, do not make chips out of chicken, for example, which is actually a thing. There oh, wow. is a company out there called Wild, and they are making chips out of chicken, which is pretty incredible. Like, it's cool to me. Um, oh, wow, yeah, that is interesting. There's so <laughs> Yeah, there's so many things you can do. Like, imagine that chicken chips, but in like a jollof rice flavor type of thing, you know? Like, that would be great. I mean, I would okay. eat that, I think. Yeah, I mean, it <laughs> sounds know, like, like it would be tasty. Yeah. It would, it would. But it, it's, it's all about just experimenting and trying to innovate and just trying new things. And I, I think that's what, my brand is all about. I am actually going through a bit of a rebranding stage whereby I'm trying to make my brand not just about being eco-friendly and things, but I want to make it about the people. I want to make it about uh, the Ghanaian experience and understanding how we run and how we do things because we aren't a straightforward people. And I think that applies to the whole of West Africa. There's so so much complexities uh, within our cultures and societies that need to be expressed. Um, and that, that goes to music and it goes to our food and things like that. And so I, I think I want to experiment and try and find a recipe which I do have in my head and I have been experimenting with, but I don't want to let it out just yet. Um, uh, but no, I, I, I want to express that through food. I want to express that through, um, our cuisine because we are very lucky and we have a lot of good food here with a lot of complex flavors. And, um, you know, some, sometimes you eat something from this continent and, seriously what that does to your palate like what it does to your mouth like your mouth jumps for joy like your tongue is having a, a party like it's incredible and I, I i don't know why that hasn't been introduced to the world i also think that is probably because we grew up in a generation where i don't know about you but when you were younger you were kind of embarrassed to eat your local food Mm, I don't mm -hmm. know. If, uh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I totally. remember that because yeah, you know? everyone everyone wanted the like the fancy uh, European food. Like that's yeah. what they wanted to eat, and yeah, exactly. yeah it's exactly. Yeah, like instead of our party, instead of having like burgers and fries and all those things, we had like jollof fries, 
we have like food you eat with your hands and things like people just don't get it and you got you kind of like cringe when you're younger from that and i i, I want to reverse that feeling and i i want to show to the world that actually our food is really good we have honestly the best best food with the best cuisine the best that you know I, I feel like there's so much more that we can offer in terms of uh food and snacking experience than just what is seen on the surface you know totally i mean so, i yeah i love um all the west african flavors i feel like um your particular way of cooking is super like unique and like um, complex and like I feel like you guys put a lot of time into <laughs> creating like these amazing dishes. So um, yeah, I'm excited to see where you where you take um, your company because um, there's I feel like there's so many ways you yeah. can you can go about it. Yeah. But I would also like to say that I, I want to be a celebration of uh, of of this continent. I, I, I want to celebrate what we have, and I, I, I just I don't I, I don't know how else I can explain it. But I, I just want to give the world a true taste of Africa, um, in an incredibly eco-friendly and sustainable way. You know. Um, I love that. And I, I think that that is the best way to put it, to be honest with you. I, I, don't, I don't know how else I can put it. Wow. I mean, I think that's beautiful. Um, uh, there's definitely a lot of, um, there's a lot of possibilities, um, you know, and I feel like yeah. we're in this really great spot, you know, um, and so I'm excited to see, what you do and what, you know, everyone else, um, kind of gets into, um, you know, during this time. So, yeah. 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 It's true. And, you know, I, I think also Ghanaian businesses, well, I can, again, I can only speak for Ghanaian businesses, but Ghanaian businesses are so interesting because I feel like, the world has taken an interest into Ghana right now uh, because it is the year of the return. And over the last like year, we've had a lot of celebrities come to Ghana. We've had Naomi Campbell come this past Christmas. We've had one of the One Direction boys come this past Christmas. We've had, uh, who else? We've had a whole host of celebrities pretty much mm. come this past Christmas. And, so we need to try and capitalize on uh, what we have. And I think for the diaspora, though it is the re year return, what it really is about, it's about giving back to what you owe so much to. I mean, your parents raised you um, with such beautiful cultural traditions and values and things like that. Um, and I think what it is for the Ghanians is we, we want to learn from you. We want to see what you guys have been doing abroad. We want to, we, we want to be inspired by you or by us. Um, because we have done so much and we have, had the opportunities, opportunities that so many others uh, have never had. So it, it is definitely important that we try and acknowledge that and try and give back to the communities that we owe so much to, you know? I love that conversation with Jadu. He is super passionate about what he's doing with Paradise Sun Snacks. He loves his country. He loves the continent and is definitely, um, 
he's a forward thinker, which I love. Um, and so I really hope that you enjoyed that conversation. And don't forget, um, if you also enjoyed the episode, feel free to uh, message me on Instagram or Facebook um, at Dear Diaspora. And you can always email me at Dear Diaspora Show at gmail.com. And you can visit DearDiasporaShow.com for the show notes. And so, yes, thank you so much for listening and tuning into episode eight of Dear Diaspora. Thanks for listening to Dear Diaspora. If you like what you hear, subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. You can find us on Instagram at Dear Diaspora or visit our website at DearDiasporaShow.com. Thank you and talk to you next week.